God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Father, we thank you for your amazing, mighty word this morning. Father, we pray that it would act as a double-edged sword. We pray that it would do the work of the Spirit, divide truth from fables, Father, uh, divide spirit from soul this morning, Lord God, and let us receive fully and properly what you have for us, you have in store for us in your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. You guys may be seated. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, this morning about your identity. I want to talk to you a little bit about who you are. I want to bring some things out in the word that you may have seen, may not have seen. And I want to make you a promise this morning. My promise is that God has called you and God has appointed you for such a time as this. I promise you, God knows your name and he knows your location. He has the most amazing GPS system you've ever seen. He can type your name into it and it'll draw your location right to where you are. He knows, according to the word of God, the number of hairs on your head. He knew all this about you before you were even in your mother's womb. Which should answer a lot of questions about Christianity and abortion, but that's for another time. God knows who you are. The question is, do you know who you are this morning? It can be a general cliche question that we run into oftentimes in Christianity or in church. But I I want to do my best to offer you more than a cliche and general answer to that question or direction, at least this morning. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter one and in Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. The next few verses go on to describe to us the order that he chose to create the heavens and the earth. Some of the details about how he did it. But in that first verse of scripture, the Hebrew scholars say the entirety of creation is captured. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Over what period of time did he do it in the beginning? That's how he started it. He created it in the beginning. He didn't create it over millions of years and billions of years. He created it in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. When we go through the seven days or six days of creation and seventh day of rest, what we see are a lot of things. But what I want to point out to you this morning is that God said that he created you, at least the, the DNA structure, the human genome, the first man, the first woman, Adam and Eve, straight out of the dust of the earth. So you can bathe as much as you want. But no, I'm just kidding. Please bathe. Straight out of the dust of the earth. Now, what's interesting is he told Abraham at one point that your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky and the sands on the sea. And we see a division there, but a lot of times we miss the commonality. The commonality is that there are only a certain number of elements that are indigenous to the planet on which you live. The rest of the elements are pixie dusted, as they say, 
uh, from the explosion of stars and supernovas and other elements that are born through nuclear fusion, which were not existent on the planet in the way that it was created. So literally a lot of those elements are spread throughout the universe from the death of other planets or luminaries, planetaries, and they have landed on the earth. In the beginning, when God said that he made everything, he started with an explosion of light. So I'm not talking about the earth was here for billions of years and then a star exploded and we got the rest of our elements. I'm talking about this all happened. When God said, let there be light. But scientifically, there are elements that cannot be fused past iron, but there are many other elements on the uh, the periodic table past iron. The way that we got those were through fusion, supernova, explosion, things of that nature. You don't have to know any of that. What you have to know is that means the dust on the earth came from the stars in the sky. So literally, when God scooped up the dust and created you, he made you out of stardust, which should begin to speak to your destiny. That you're not earthbound, heavenly minded. He's called us up to sit with him in heavenly places. If you take a sample of the, the dust and the dirt of the earth and you compare it to a sample of the, the DNA or uh, the physical makeup of a human being, you, you, you do find the same exact elements present in both. The reason is this is the material that he used to create you. Stardust, dust of the earth. In the beginning, God did this, which is pretty amazing. What's perhaps even more amazing is that later we find out through the reading and the study of his word, really through John, who kind of mirrors Genesis chapter one and and John chapter one of his gospel, where he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and Everything that was created was made through him and by him and without him was nothing made that was made so that in the beginning, in another place, the Bible says that he was crucified for us from the foundations of the earth. And what we realize is that in the mind of God, in the logos and, and in the physical, God used his own son, Jesus Christ, in some type of manifested form in order to create or through him create all the things that were created in the very beginning. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And everything. There's when you understand that and understand what we just talked about with the stars and the dust, I want to I want to show you just a little hidden manner that a lot of you have already seen. But I want to apply it in a different manner in Genesis chapter one, verse one. If we could get the first slide, there's something that happens in the Hebrew language that does not happen in the English language. We see ten words in the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. But in the Hebrew language, we see exactly seven words. I want to show you these words one through seven. Now, in English, we read from left to right, but Hebrew reads from right to left. So the way that we see it is better. Sheath bara Elohim, Hashamayim, Viet Heretz. That is how you would say in Hebrew, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But that's only six words. But there are seven words present. There's a word right here in the middle that you would pronounce et, but it's not really a word, which is why it has no translation underneath it. In the beginning, created God, the heaven and the earth. There's so many hidden messages in God's original language. As long as we're talking about your creation, it's probably no coincidence that there are 22 letters in the Hebrew language that God used to create everything. And there are 22 amino acids that are that are used to build up all the protein that create the tissue and the muscle and the fabric of you. 22 and 22 coincidence. I don't think so. Right here in the beginning. God created the Aleph and the Tav is how you say those Hebrew letters that have no translation. The Aleph is the X looking letter. The Tav is the one that looks like Pi. So what we need to figure out, there's a hidden message right there in the beginning of Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. 
why is that olive and tav present? And what does that mean for you and I? Well, the olive and tav are simply the A and the Z of the Hebrew alphabet. It is the first letter and the last letter. So we can fast forward. And by the way, Solomon, who was given all wisdom in the, in the word of God up to the point that he lived anyway, the word of God that was expressed at that point, said there were only two things that God didn't reveal to him about the word. This is written in his personal journal, which is accessible. It's public material. He said he didn't understand the red heifer from Numbers chapter 19, and he didn't understand the olive and the tav in Genesis 1.1, why it's there. There was no explanation given Old Testament times as to why it was there. There's an explanation given in New Testament times. It comes again through John, who gained the revelation of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. And in the first chapter, John sees a picture like you see here, seven-branched candlestick, which the Hebrew scholars say this is, creates a picture in Genesis 1-1. And coincidentally, right in the middle of the seven branches and what's called the servant candle, John turns around in the book of Revelation and he says, I saw one like the Son of Man. You can read this in Revelation chapter 1. Like the Son of Man. And I turned around and he said, John, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who was and is and is to come. Now, Jesus was a Hebrew who qualified as a high priest, according to the book of Hebrews. John was a Hebrew who qualified in the priesthood, according to Josephus, the historian, and one scripture in the word of God. So we have a Hebrew priest speaking to a Hebrew priest. The odds they were speaking Greek, very slim. Very poquito. Right? Is that right? Is that wrong? It's good? Okay. Very slim chance. More than likely, Jesus addressed him in their common tongue, the Hebrew, in which he would say, John, by the way, as long as you're seeing me here standing in the servant position of the seven branch candelabra, as long as you're seeing me here in the picture of the menorah standing here like a servant, I think it's time to reveal Genesis chapter one, verse one to you. I am the Aleph and the Tav. I am the beginning and the end. I was crucified for you before the foundations of the earth. Nothing was made without me. Everything was made through me. I came into my own and my own didn't understand me. They received me not. The light came into the darkness and the darkness didn't comprehend it. But I've been there from the beginning, the Aleph and the Tav, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God is good. And Jesus is amazing. The Aleph and the Tav, been there all along. What gets even crazier is when you start to look at the symbolic and the literal breakdown of every letter of the Hebrew language. We're only going to concentrate on the olive and the top this morning if we get slide number two. This has been this way forever. This was not made up a couple of years ago. This is at least 6,000 years old, this language, and the interpretation of it is the same age. Now, for thousands of years... All they knew and all Solomon knew was that there's this random Aleph and Tav in Genesis 1-1 and we don't understand it. We understand the numbers, the gematria that, that, it, that, it, that it makes up. We understand what the letters represent, but we can't make heads or tails of it. We can't make sense, but God had it there from the time that Moses wrote it, which makes it about 4,000 years old, but the knowledge of the scripture or the language is about 6,000 years old. Here we have it. We don't know how to interpret it for at least uh, 4,000 years. It's been 2,000 years since Christ was here and gave us the explanation in the book of Revelation, but we still didn't get the full explanation because God loves to glorify himself in the hidden treasure of his scripture. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. Proverbs 25 and 2 or 5. Get those dyslexic number things going on sometimes. It's one of those. 
In the beginning, God created the Aleph and the Tav. Well, what is it always said? They never understood it, but what it always meant was the Aleph was an ox. Now, an interesting thing about an ox is that in Leviticus, in the Old Testament, you can figure out um, there's a lot of different laws for everything. There's a couple laws associated to an ox. One is called the redemption price. If an ox gets loose and accidentally uh, runs over a, a man and the uh, there's a lot of different laws that apply, and if it was an accident, there's a, a redemption price to buy back the ox, and the price of the redemption has always been 30 pieces of silver. They knew that, but they don't know why that's in Genesis chapter 1 1. So we have the ox. Who remembers when Judas Iscariot sold out Christ what they paid him? Anybody remember? 30 pieces of silver, same price. That makes him the redeemer. And the price was paid, but he redeemed us. That makes him qualify as a type of the ox. What has the symbol for the Tav always been? The very last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. I don't know if you can read it, but it says sign or cross. Two cross sticks, always been for thousands of years. So in the beginning, God created the ox that hung on the cross. The Aleph and the Tav, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And it gets crazier and crazier. It's hard to see on this type of a slide, but another thing about the Hebrew language that's crazy is every letter is made out of other letters. The Aleph that's there in the beginning, it's made out of taking a Vav, which you see here, one, two, three, four, fifth letter, and attaching two Yodes, which is the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth letter. One Yod on the top and one Yod on the bottom with the slanted Vav gives you the picture of the Aleph. Probably a coincidence that the Vav is a nail and the Yod is a closed hand. So in the beginning, God created the ox that hung on the cross. Two Yods, which is two closed hands, with the nail, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, all in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Nothing, this is just to reiterate and confirm that through him, came everything that ever came. It was created by him, for him, with him. That's why the government is upon his shoulders. By Jesus, for Jesus, of Jesus. Thank God you're one of the people. That's his government on his shoulders, as Isaiah tells us. So what does all that mean for you and I? I just want you to, to keep that picture in your head. In the beginning, the first letter, the Aleph, that is a... That is the picture of an ox. An ox is always used to plow the field. An ox has a heavy yoke around upon its neck. And the ox is all about physical labor. Keep that in mind. And let's go to Hebrews chapter 1 this morning, verse number 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Let's talk about what this doesn't mean first. Some people use scriptures like this in a weird way. At sundry times and diverse manners spake in the time past unto the fathers by the prophets, in these last days speaks to us by his Son. Does that mean that he no longer uses prophets? It's not what it's saying. We know that. Because in the same context of the New Testament Scripture, the Bible clearly tells us that he set out a five-fold ministry, including prophets, apostles, teachers, evangelists, preachers, that whole deal. 
So we understand that he still uses these things to edify his body. So what does this scripture mean if at times past? What it's pointing out is that in times past, in order to be a prophet, you had to lay on one side for 165 days or whatever. You had to eat weird things. You had to go out and make a, a, a crazy statements. You had to shave your head. You had to stand there and, and, and uh, mock 450 prophets of Baal and at the time of a drought and tell them to, to take their barrels of water and cover this wood and try to set it on fire, call down fire from heaven, mock their God, tell him he's probably asleep. Oh, he probably can't hear you. He's got his headphones in. He's got his beats going. It's not your fault. Let me talk to my God. Call down. So we don't, we don't do that anymore. We don't offer animals anymore. We don't offer sacrifice. A lot of things that we don't do from the Old Testament times, from the times of the ox with the yoke plowing the field. There's things that we don't do anymore. But it doesn't mean that all those things have been done away with. It means they come in a new methodology, which means now the prophets don't have to go out and kill themselves in order to deliver a word to the people who are underneath an Old Testament yoke where it has to be all physical labor. Now the prophet gets to stand up and say, in the, this is the word of the Lord. This is what I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit. This is in Jesus' name. Jesus' name takes care of all that. Jesus' name requires that there's no... We all talk about, man, I want to have the double portion of Elijah. No, you don't. You don't want to do the things Elijah had to do. You don't want to do the things Elisha had to do. You want to deliver that word, and I'm with you. But uh, let's not... Yeah, you know what? They couldn't have relationships. They didn't have any friends. They didn't have a place to live because they had to go out and do stuff, unimaginable things just in order to get people's attention to say, hey, God's trying to speak to you. This. A lot of those, those amazing, most amazing men of God in the Old Testament begged God, please don't make me do this. Please don't do this. Moses, who was raised in Pharaoh's house, all of a sudden developed a stutter. Don't speak well. God says, well, we'll let your brother do it then, but you're going to go with him. Dang. Okay. No, there's, man, I want to be like Moses. Do you? Because Moses didn't want to be like Moses. Oh, you might have been the same way. I wouldn't have eaten that fruit. Yeah, you would have. So, God at sundry times in diverse manners. We don't have sundry times in diverse manners anymore. We have Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen? Has these last days spoken to us how? Through fivefold ministry, through word of wisdom, through word of knowledge, through tongues, through interpretation, through all kinds of ways. By his son, not by our efforts, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. This is uh, also speaking and confirming the idea of Jesus Christ being the end and the beginning or the beginning and the end, because it says in the last days and it says by whom also he made the world. So from the beginning and to the end. This is what God is using right now. This is where we're at. Everybody say identity. God knows who you are. We're trying to figure out if you know who you are. Verse number three, Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Glory to God. That's really all we need to know. We should be able to go to lunch right now. We should be done. That should be it. We should be able to read something like that and just stand up and glorify God. That he by himself has purged our sins. If I give you the microphone, will you tell us everything bad you did this month? Uh Me neither. 
but you know. And it's not just this month, it's last month, it's the month before that, it's next month, it's the month after that. By himself, he has purged our sins. Do you realize if we could uh, somehow uh, get a, 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 a character from the Old Testament, a priest, a prophet, anybody, to somehow manifest and show up in a New Testament service and preach this New Testament gospel to them. When we read something like that, how he by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and it's all taken care of, they would fall out on their face and just go crazy and thank God because that's so much easier. You mean I don't have to walk 40 miles three times a year to Jerusalem dragging my sacrifice with me? I don't have to raise this animal and watch them slice it open and pour the blood out and sprinkle it here and do this there. And I can't have this in my house. And if I step over this grave, then I got to go down in this water and I got to be clean this way. I got to do this this way. And I hope nobody's watching because I'm a little bit tired and I didn't do it last week. And I don't know if you'll forgive me for that. I'm bringing an extra dub to the offering. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I think I ate leaven. I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven. Didn't mean to rhyme that. So it's all, I really didn't, that was unplanned. I'm just that good. No, no, I'm not that good, I'm just kidding. Uh, They'd fall out. I'm sorry, read that again. Um, He, when he had by himself purged our sins. Wow. Is that real? Yeah, that's the real deal. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Man, somebody should jump up and start dancing. No? Okay. You should. You don't have to. God is good. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians. We're going to come back to Hebrews chapter 1. We'll go to 1 Corinthians, uh, I believe it's 13. Let's try 2 Corinthians 3. Let's not try 2 Corinthians 3. I thought I remembered it. 1 Corinthians 13. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking for a place that tells me that I'm transformed into his image. I'll take any of them. There's a few. So what happens digitally? It is Second Corinthians three. Yeah, let's go to Second Corinthians three. We're going to start in verse number seventeen. It says, "Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty." Liberty is what gives you the right to stand up and do that dance you should have done a minute ago. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed. Everybody say changed. Into the same image. Everybody say image. From glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are changed into the same image. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 1. And I want to read something to you again. We are changed into the same image. 
We're aware the Bible tells us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed into the image of his dear son, into the image of Christ. Are you aware that as a Christian, what you've declared when you've declared that you are a Christian disciple is that you are a disciplined pupil of Jesus Christ? That you are literally like a mini Jesus running around this earth? Mini Jesus. Are you aware that Jesus Christ said, all of these things, all of these works that I have done and greater than these shall you do? Yikes. That's a tough sell in the Methodist church. Praise God, I worked in one so I can say that. All of these works and greater than these shall you do. Well, I had a vision. Well, I don't think God gives visions anymore. Well, I got to start doing things like Jesus did. Well, I want to lay hands on the sick. Well, that's not really for today. Well, it's for today. Like right now today. It's for this service. Well, I feel like uh, God is wanting to use me in a spiritual gift. Well, that stuff's been done away with. Well, not in my life. My Lord and Savior said all the things that he did and greater. I believe that he laid hands on people that couldn't walk and they started to walk again. I'm pretty sure that he laid hands on deaf people and they got their hearing back. I know that he laid hands on some blind people and they received their sight. If I'm going to do greater things, and not as an individual really, but as a church that we do greater things, then we need to at least do the same things. Right? Little Christian, little Jesus. This is what God says. This is what the Word of God says about him by whom he made the world, the beginning and the end, who being the brightness of his glory, that's Jesus, and the express image of his person. You know what that word means in Greek, the express image? The express image. Everybody say transformed. Everybody say image. If you're supposed to be like Christ, it might naturally follow that you should look at Christ and see who he's supposed to be like. According to the word of God, what Jesus Christ is, is a ten type. Express image means two things. It means either chiseled out in the clay or burned into some type of surface. As an express image, an exact replica of whatever it is that you are creating. It's like back in the day, we've all seen the movies or some type of uh, commercial or whatever where a man sticks his head underneath the cloth and got the big camera on the tripod and somebody has to hold up the flash and somebody has to light it. It's literally because in order to take a picture, an image has to be burned into some type of substance. And through that burning, it takes on the exact similitude of whatever that thing is, whatever that object is. So when God said in the beginning, and the first thing that he said was, let there be light at some point in that creation, that flash of light, he was able to burn an image of himself into a real human being. He was able to chisel an exact replica and I'm not making the, the statement that there's a twins and God and Jesus stand next to each other and look exactly the same and speak to each other. That comes from another place. I'm not talking about in the physical, but in the spiritual this morning. That's why when they came up to him and they said, we know that you are from God by these works that you do. And he said, it's, it's, it's not me that does the works. It's the father in me. When the disciples said, just show us the father and it will suffice. He turned around and said, Neil, 
Do you not understand? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How then would you say to show me the Father? Have I been such a long time with you that you don't understand? Jesus Christ is the express image. He is burned into a mold. He is chiseled out. He is the Spirit of God embodied. He is the personage of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God. He is the only visible image of the invisible Father. When we do things in Jesus' name, it's the reason why the book of Acts says, chapter 4, verse 12, there's no other name given to men under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. Because Father is not a name. It's a title. Holy Ghost is not really a name. It's a title. But when we approach Him with the name, there's only one name. It's the name of Jesus. And when we say that we're a Christian, we're taking on that personage. We're taking on that name. We've labeled ourselves. We've, we've made a covenant. We've gone into a marriage contract. He can have my last name and I'm going to take his. Where I used to be my own reputation, now I want to have on his reputation. The Bible says to take on Christ daily. Do you know who you are in Jesus? He knows who you are. Do you know who you are? When you look into that mirror, do you see a transcription? Do you see an express image of the God that you serve? Do you understand that through you, He can do all things? Well, maybe when I was younger, and the younger people say, maybe when I get older, and God is standing in heaven going, seriously? Are there any right now people? Are there any right now people in the room? Do you know the same book of Hebrews says that now faith is? Are there any right now people? Can I get an amen? Are there any right now people? Because God wants to use you right now. Well, I'm on my way to school. I haven't gotten my degree. I've got all these plans. Go ahead with your plans. I'm not, I haven't got a word from God that says for you not to go ahead with your plans. But in those plans, He's going to use you. Be careful when you sign up for Psychology 101 because the teacher is going to want to tell you that the Word of God is ridiculous and it's your job to stand up and say, no, it's not. It doesn't matter if He fails you. There was just a movie about that. God is not dead. That's all He wanted to do was go to college. I don't know what your next move is, but it's not outside of the realm of the Holy Spirit. They might try to kick Him out of school. He goes anyway. He'll roll with you. Well, I'm not allowed to pray in school. Well, how exactly do they know if you're praying? I mean, we can fight that fight and I'll fight it with you, but come on. How do they know? They don't know. God goes to school. He'll go to school with you. As soon as somebody pulls out a handgun, they'll ask you to pray at school. Everybody will be all for it. So be ready. They can't kick God out of anywhere. Last I checked, Satan wanted to be in heaven and got kicked out. I don't think it was the other way around. So where the Holy Ghost goes, Caleb, Jacob, everywhere your foot touches, you can claim that for the kingdom of God. Well, I'm headed. I don't, it doesn't matter where you're headed. God's already there. The problem is you keep thinking of yourself by the name that you were given when you were a child. And Jesus is trying to tell you, you know, you don't have to forget your own name. But instead of remembering that so often, why don't you remember my name? Well, I really want to go talk to that guy about Jesus, but I might be rejected. Jesus said, you'll never be rejected. They're rejecting me. They're not rejecting you. 
I'm not asking you to go prove to them how good you are of a Christian or how good you are at expressing Christianity or how intelligent you are or how much scripture that you memorize. I'm just asking you to ask them and talk to them about me. Just love somebody in Jesus name. They can't reject you if it's not your gospel. It's my gospel. That's like working in sales somewhere and being afraid to try to sell something because you might get rejected. It's not you. It's Comcast. Nobody likes Comcast. It's not your fault. You need to switch to AT&T. Whatever you're selling now, you need to switch it. You need to switch it to Jesus Christ. You need to switch it to your Lord and Savior. It's not your church that you're selling. It's not your version that you're selling. It's not your understanding that you're selling. Salvation is unconditional. The love is unconditional. It's not by works. But blessings and some things like that, even words of prophecy, a lot of times are conditional. God says, I'm going to do this for you. doesn't mean you go sit on the couch and wait for it to happen. Especially if it's not your couch. I don't know what that means. You, however... However that works in your life. We'll consider that a word of knowledge, so whoever. Dang, that's for me. I'm always, I'm on somebody else's couch. Sorry, Cody. That was for me. I didn't even realize it. Okay. So, getting back to the word of God. Being made so much better than the angels. Now I want you to realize here that he is the express image of his father and you are the express image of him. You're not conformed. Transformed. What did we just learn in Second Corinthians? That literally, let's go back and read it again. I'm sure of it this time. Second Corinthians three. My iPad's not too sure, but I am sure. Last verse. We all with open face beholding as in a glass. Everybody say a mirror. The glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. What happens when you look into a mirror and what you hold up to it is the glory of the Lord. From glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord, with an open face beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image. That's big news. That's big responsibility. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image. Let me share something with you real quick. The book of Proverbs tells us that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the joy of kings to seek it out. I know that he knows who you are, but if you don't know who you are, let me give you a hint. When you hold up the glory of God to a mirror, you are changed into that image. And what was formerly concealed in you is now revealed in you. And you are the express image of the glory of the Lord. Did you know that the kingdom of God dwells inside of you? Did you know that when it's unveiled, it's a revelation to the world around you? Did you know, as the prophet said, it's not about uh, necessarily the place, but the authority? Did you know that that's inside of you? Did you know that when you look in a mirror and you decide to see him instead of seeing you, that his glory can be revealed? That's in you. The kingdom of God is in you. I feel like some of you aren't getting it. You still think you're Samantha, but you're not. You still think you're Cody, but you're not. 
You still think you're Ryan, but you're not. You think you're Eli, but you're not. Chewy, but you're not. The glory of God can be revealed through you. And you are the express image. You are the bride of Jesus Christ. You have taken on His name. You are able to do His work. You can lay hands on the sick and it won't be a rejection of you. It will be the glory of God. You can speak the Word of God and you'll never be rejected. It's the glory of God being revealed. You know what? The person might not receive it, but the whole creation groans and utters waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So you can sit in the upper room. You know what? If the people don't receive it, the room itself will shake. From what I understand, there are angels that fly around the throne room of God and cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the pillars of heaven shake at the revelation of the glory of the one whose image you walk in. He knows who you are. Do you know who you are in him? Well, all things are possible. Uh Uh-huh. All things are possible. Who strengthens me? Christ who strengthens me. In the King James, it says, which strengthens me? It changes from who to which. I don't know really what's the best way to translate it, but I know I like that because it doesn't just point to him, it points to the anointing. Which is what Christ means in Greek. The anointed one. All things are possible through Christ, which strengthens me. All things are possible. Well, I need X amount of money in the bank. Well, you know what? I'm never going to preach you the prosperity gospel of the ATM in heaven. But I'll tell you this. All things are possible. It's not about him providing for you. It's about you figuring out who you are and allowing the glory of God to be revealed in you. And all things are possible. There's an empty building that we can't afford sitting on the frontage of I-45 in Leak City. And there's no way that we could possibly get it. But I know this. All things are possible. All things are possible. I hope that it comes through me. But I'm just as, it's just as good if it comes through you. Just a little side note. It's, it's over $2 million. So I want it to come through me. Because that means there's about 18 mil that I get to keep. If I'm doing my math correctly, I'm just throwing it out there. I hope it comes through somebody. I know that it's possible. The thing is, it can't come through David. It can't come through Neil. It can't come through, I don't mean any disrespect. William, I would never call you William, but I'm just for the example. Can't come through. Can't come through any person. But it can come through Jesus. It can come through the image that you can transform into. It can come through the kingdom of God, which lives inside of you and can be expressed outside of you. It can come through him, which means it can come through you once you understand your identity in him. But it's not going to come through your identity. It's going to come through the one that you've been called to be. So the question is, when are you going to take off that costume that you've been wearing? When are you going to take off that mask of humanity and decide to walk in the spirit that you've been called to walk in? What is it that's holding you back? Is it your age? It's not good enough. Is it your spouse? That's not good enough. Is it your place in life? That's not good enough. Is it your, uh, is it your income? That's not good enough. And when I say it's not good enough, I mean it's not a good enough excuse. There is no good excuse. I thought there were some now people in the room. The Bible says now faith is. So my challenge to you is, can you take on the image that you are meant to take on now?
Or as I'm preaching, have you already made excuses as to why you might do it later? Faith doesn't live in later. Faith lives in the now. That can't be right, 12.45. My clock must be broken. What's it, about 12.15? I'm going to try to to, uh, finish up quickly here. Well, what does it mean when you've been made in the express image of Jesus Christ? Let's read verse number four. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, for unto which of the angels has he said at any time, you are my son, and this day I have begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Again, when he brings the first begotten into the world, he says, and let the angels of God worship him. When did that happen? When he brought him into the world, let the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, as he said, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers as a flame of fire, but unto the son, he says... Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Can I tell you a secret? You are a joint heir with him. That doesn't mean the angels are worshiping you. They're worshiping him. But in the image in which you were created, in the image in which you can be transformed, you have the ability to do things that you don't have to call on angels to do. You can do them. And when God sees you moving, guess what happens? He'll send his angels to help you. You can pray and ask God for whatever you want. Sometimes he'll send an angel to deliver the answer. But you don't have to have an angel present to do the work of God. You've been called an angel of the church. There's a lot more to read, but let's just skip over to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Can I read that again? Everybody say, transformed image. Now, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard right now, lest at any time we should let them slip. That means when you go to sleep tonight, I hope you go to sleep inspired in Jesus Christ. But don't wake up in the morning and let it slip. I'm going to change the name of this message, Ted. Don't start slipping. Yeah, some good artwork behind that. Don't start slipping. For the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape to neglect so great a salvation? Verse number four, God also bearing them witness with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. I don't think that stuff exists for today. Well, it exists in the book of Hebrews, and I'm pretty sure the book of Hebrews, everything that Paul was writing is still for today. I didn't really uh, see the, the, the verse in the book of Hebrews at the end that says, by the way, this is only for the people at, at the time of the Hebrews I was writing. I think this is for everybody. God also bearing witness with signs and wonders and diverse miracles. Well, I'm not really into that. Well, if you're into him, you're into that. Signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. Come on now. According to his own will. I'm not sure about all those gifts. Well, according to him. Whose image have you been made in? Are you some kind of half Jesus, half people clone? Like you halfway want everything that's in the Bible, but you halfway don't want to offend the people. So you're some kind of hybrid and it's doing something weird to your face. I'm just, I saw that on a preview. Don't take that personal. Don't be a hybrid. Nobody likes hybrids. God also bearing witness with signs, wonders, diverse miracles, gifts of the Holy Ghost. Verse number five. Front of the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come? Come on now. Who wants to be an angel? Who wants to be an angel? 
You know, they used to sell heaven to you that way. Well, when you go to heaven, you get your wings and you get to be an angel. I'd rather they read this portion of scripture. Actually, the image that you're made in. Uh, these are things angels don't have access to. You go ahead and be an angel. I'm going to be me in Christ. Because I think the rewards, it seems to me, are greater. For in the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But when a certain place testified, saying, What is man that you are mindful of, and the Son of Man that you visited him? You made him a little lower than the angels, crowned him with glory and honor, and did set him over the work of your hands. I was put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection, he left nothing that is not put under him. Nothing. Then he qualifies that with, that's futuristic speak. Right now there are a few things not put under him. Verse number 9, but we see Jesus. Who's that? We see Jesus. Who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering for both he that sanctifies and they which are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Did you know that God has a son? Did you know that he only has one? But he adopted a whole bunch of brothers and sisters. That's who you are. I don't know who you were, but that's who you are. Your last name, you were probably born with, or it was given to you by whatever set of parents you have. But God is saying, oh, by the way, when you accept my son, you've accepted me, and you're part of the family. You know, the family, they're all family. Welcome to the family. You're made men and made women in the name of Jesus Christ. Plus, a few of us are Italian, so it's like a double, it's like that double portion. You're saying Acts chapter 10, it talks about Italian people. I didn't make it up. Mm, God is good. Our worship team, go ahead and come up. And again, verse 13, I'll put trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, praise God, and deliver them who through fear of death were all times subject to bondage. I hope you've been delivered this morning. For verily he took upon him not the nature of angels, but he took upon him the seed of Abraham, praise God. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself had suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. What I want to focus on is how Jesus, through suffering in verse 9, made a little lower than angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, how he bridged the gap. How once upon a time, the image was an ox with a yoke around his neck. And he had to with all the muscle in his forelegs and his hind legs drag that bondage of that plow behind him. Every law, we know 10 commandments, but there were 613. That's just in the 37 books of the Old Testament. There was also a Mishnah and a Talmud and a oral tradition and rabbinical teaching. And it just got real heavy. And the ox 
would have the heavy yoke and he would just plow and plow and plow all the day long until he was completely worn out. Then once upon a time, that ox took on his calling, suffered death, and the next letter in Genesis 1-1, which is the Tav, the sign of the cross. And things transferred from the old way of the heavy yoke to the new way where Jesus says, all of you that are heavy laden, come, take upon my yoke. My yoke is light. My burden is easy. What does that mean? Well, there's a term in the rabbinical circles called the rabbi's yoke. And what it, what it means is his interpretation of the law of the Old Testament of the Bible. Jesus had this interpretation for all of those oxes that have been just dragging along for so many years. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your mind, heart, strength, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. And in all of this, is the law and the prophets held up. Oh my God. That's like a thousand pounds off of the plow. That is a much lighter yoke. That is a much easier burden. I don't want to be like the angels. And as much as I respect them, I don't want to be like Elijah. I don't want to be like Elisha. I don't want to be like Samuel. I don't want to be like Moses even. I don't want to be like Solomon. I don't want to be like Samson. I don't want to be like any of these guys. I respect what they had to do, but I don't have to do that. And I'm thankful for that. I'm not part of the Aleph. I'm part of the Tav. And God knew all of it from the beginning, and we've made a transition. And God knows who you are, but do you know who you are this morning? You are a member of the Tav. You are the sign of the cross. You are a child of the new covenant. You are a son of God. You are a brother of Jesus. You are the express image of your Lord and Savior. And you are called to do mighty works. It doesn't matter what your mama said. It doesn't matter what your daddy said. About you. It doesn't matter what other people try to tell you. You have value. You have worth. 